about what a month of football we have ahead of us, and you can enjoy it all down the pub with We Love Sport. Welcome to the Women's Football Podcast, Euros edition. My name is Chess Warren and joining me to look over the latest Euros action from the last couple of days is TWFP regular Alex Piera. Hello, Alex. Hello, Chess. Good to be back. Good to see you. And freelance journalist who will be out and about a lot during the Euros, it's Adam Millington. Hello, Adam. Hi, Chess. Well, the Euros are finally underway. We've had our kickoff from the first couple of groups. What have you guys made of it so far? Have you been enjoying it? Yeah, it's been really interesting to watch so far. I think all the games that I've been to slash watched have been of a really high quality. Spain, Finland's probably my favourite so far I've been to. It's been a great, great tournament. I didn't really, wasn't the biggest fan of the whole atmosphere at the opener. It was a bit like, uh, it didn't feel much like a football match, but all the others have been excellent and it's been a really good tournament very busy <laughs> very busy all over the place you but you've been absolutely all over the place um so group b kicked off friday's proceedings with spain the game you just mentioned who were without jenny homoso and alex puteas taking on finland in milton Keynes. finland who were ranked 29th in the world stunned spain by scoring after only 50 seconds Linda solstrom collected anna westerland's long pass forward and fired a shot which went in off the inside post our whatsapp group nearly blew up at this point because we were thinking maybe a shot could be on and finland could take the win here but that wasn't meant to be the Spanish eventually got going and Irene Paderis' bullet header from a corner got them level. Anita Bonmarti popped up with her 15th goal for her country when she rose well above to head home uh, Maria Leon's cross. Lucia Garcia headed home another pinpoint delivery and Mariona Caldente converted a penalty in injury time to make it a convincing 4-1 win. Was it a convincing win for Spain, Finland? Uh, because Finland did have their chance, didn't they? Adam, what do you think? Um, yeah, I think Spain were the better of the two teams, but I don't think they played as well as they could have. I liked how Finland, unlike some of the other teams, were happy to not just try and play football that was pleasing on the eye. They were like, right, we're going to go for it and play the long balls over the top and try and beat Spain. And, and they did in, in the opening minute, mm-hmm. which was very surprising. I got there like two minutes before kickoff and straight away it was a Finland goal. And then... Spain just didn't seem to really have that sort of fluidity up in the top line that they usually do. It, it wasn't working. Their front line, they managed to score four. One was a penalty, three of which were headers. Spain are very good in the air. But I don't think that was the Spain side that we're necessarily used to. And even without Alexia and Jenny Hermosa, you would have expected them to probably be a bit better up top. Maybe that was Builder's selection. But who knows? I think they, they need to improve because against the bigger teams, against the likes of Germany, I don't think they'll be good enough. Yeah, because I think that 4-1 scoreline didn't really properly show how the match um, went. Alex, what do you think? Do you think they're really missing um, that midfield of Alexia Puteas and Jenny Hermosa? Yeah, it was quite a sloppy start from Spain, to be honest. They were quite sloppy throughout. So, like Adam said, a 4-1 win is convinced, like, slightly underwhelming if you look at the whole match and I think the finished goal was like the quickest goal in the women's Euros to date I'm not 100% sure on that but that was what was said and 
when you let your opponents, like a team like Spain, if you let a team like Finland, who are ranked lower than you score within the first minute, you're already on the back foot. And yeah, they got the goal back in about 14 minutes, but it just, it seemed like a Spain side that never really got going. Although, like, the assist for the Bonmati header was absolutely world-class. So the Spanish were playing themselves down as favourites even before Puteas got that injury. And Bonmati said after the game that the win was for Puteas. Could this make them even more dangerous as it galvanises the players to step up? Alex, what do you think? I think potentially. But then you look at how they played in the Arnold Clark Cup. It wasn't particularly convincing football there either. And they are playing against the likes of England and Germany. And yeah, Spain, I don't know. I don't know what it is about Spain. I don't know if they're trying to emulate the men's side where back in the day they used to just pick all the Basque players and build a team around that. Don't know if that's the case. But it just seems like without the big names and because Pateas is like the biggest name in Spain, she won the, the women's Ballon d'Or. It's like, how do you replace that? Like, is there enough quality in that side to be able to replace it? So I'm not sure. But Euros and the women's Euros is one of those tournaments where you could think Spain are going to go on and win it and then something dramatic might happen and they'll just get knocked out in the group stages. It's just very difficult to predict. For Finland, though, they are the underdogs in this group. But do you think they can build on this performance, maybe get a shock win and kind of see how they can impact the group? Adam, what do you think? Yeah, I think Finland have an opportunity to do well. They were um, better than I thought they'd be. They were quite a good team against Spain. And against Spain of all sides, I think that's a difficult test for your first match. I think maybe scoring straight away was a bit of a hindrance as much as it helped them because it then led Spain to, you know, from minute two, be thinking, right, we have to fight really hard here and try and get the win back. Whereas... I don't know if they'd maybe held on until half an hour or, or something had happened there. It would have been a bit different. But yeah, I think Finland are a really interesting side. They've got lots of good players. I think Tinny Carpella in goal played an absolute blinder in the second half. I think when they come up against the likes of Denmark, that's the sort of time when they could get a win. And part of me, it's one of those teams where I wrote it in my year's previews. I think they could be that tournament team who managed to nick a draw here or, you know, get a win over another side, a bit like Hungary were in the men's Euros last year. You always get one every tournament who you don't really expect and might do something. It's just a really difficult group. Mm. If they can get through, then great, but who knows? It was also the highest crowd um, for a game at the um, Euros group stage that didn't involve a host nation so far in the tournament. But we'll get into crowds and impact later. In the other game in Group B, Germany played Denmark in front of a big crowd at the Brentford Community Stadium. Germany had already fired warning shots when Felicitas Rauch twice hit the Danish bar before Lena Magul fired home the opener. Magul's Bayern Munich teammate, Leah Schuer, headed home early in the second half with a corner. Wolfsburg's Lena Latvin scored her first international goal to put Germany well clear and the three points were well and truly secured when her Wolves teammate Alexandra Pop scored a fourth. Denmark's misery was complete when a substitute Katrine Kuhl was not so cool and got her marching orders for a second yellow card in injury time. 
In our preview pod, the general consensus was that Germany and France would be the biggest threat to England in this tournament. Does this match prove it? Alex, what do you think? I think yes and no, because there were moments and passages of play where Germany were absolutely phenomenal. And then there were times where it just kind of, the game kind of lulled. And I think, to be honest, that second yellow card was a bit harsh. Like, it very much seems like in the women's game, you could literally, like, barely touch someone and get a card. Whereas, like, if it was the men's, you could commit as many fouls as you want and you won't even get booked. So, I I don't know why that happens. But I think I think it was an interesting refereeing decision because we've seen a real kind of um, there's been a real difference in um, refereeing this tournament. I think a lot of referees have been quite light to blow their whistle, um, especially in the opener um, against um, England against Austria. There were a couple of fouls, especially on um, Alessia Russo, where she was tugged to the floor um, and nothing was a foul wasn't even called, let alone a card there. So I think it's I think it's interesting to see that a second yellow um, was given in this game. But for Denmark, this is a blow. I think I really feel for um, on on Thursday night, I went to a We Love Sport pub in London um, to watch the Group B games. And I ended up chatting to, um, I ended up chatting to a bunch of Danish fans. They were super excited for the, um, for this fixture coming up. They'd traveled over especially, uh, and they were really excited to see how the Danes would fare, but it really was not a brilliant performance. Realistically, Adam, can you see them either toppling Germany or Spain out of the group to get these top two spots to get them into the quarterfinals? Is it unrealistic, especially as they did get to the final last Euros? You just expected more from Denmark. Yeah. I know I know, Penilla Harder is a big name in the Danish team, but it just it didn't seem like they played to her strengths. And I think watching that and then watching how the Spain game unfolded, there's a lot of similarities between the teams. Like, yeah, you've got star players, but if you don't utilise them correctly, then you're not going to get the best out of them and you're going to end up with like a 4-1 yeah, I, I think it may be a little bit unrealistic. I don't know, I'd, I'd tipped Denmark as my dark horses before this, but seeing them yesterday against Germany, maybe it was a mix of Germany being really good mm. and uh, Denmark not being their usual best. I think they've got some amazing players in there when you actually look at the talent across the entire squad, but it was just surprising to see them be completely dominated by Germany. I think Spain won't be an easy task for them either. Maybe they could nick something against Spain, but it would take a big improvement on what they did against Germany. If they do that, then maybe they could get out of the group, but I think it's going to be hard. I think this group will probably just end up being everyone predicted with Germany and Spain getting out. Mm. And then hopefully England will be facing either one of those teams in uh, the quarterfinals, which is always a bit dangerous. But Saturday saw Portugal, who were the late entrants, uh, take on Switzerland in sunny North Man- Manchester. One of our journalistic colleagues, Rich Laverty, described this game as the game of the tournament so far. Despite it being warm, the Portuguese were caught cold by two goals in the first four minutes from Cumbersau and Rachel Coich which were the earliest a team had ever hold, held a two-goal lead in the history of the women's Euros. You did fear for Portugal at that point, but they fought back with goals from Diana Gomez and Jessica Silva. Both sides could have won it. Both hit the woodwork. Adam, was this a surprise result in the end? Does this tell a story of Switzerland's decline in the women's game a little bit? 
Yeah, Switzerland are a really interesting team. They've got some good players in there, you know, the likes of Leo Valti, Ramona Backman. But I think there was just something about them yesterday where they got those two early goals. You think, yeah, this is normal Switzerland. And then they completely messed it up. And to some extent, I was expecting them to be better. Portugal fought back reasonably well. But, you know, even seeing England against Switzerland out in Zurich, they were nowhere near as good as they usually have been in the past. You know, Chernovodjevic up top was good then, but she didn't really do much yesterday. I don't know how Switzerland are going to fare in this. It, they're not the sort of team how, who you'd expect them to be. And it's not an easy group, Group C by any means. It's the group of death. And neither team winning that game will be a result that neither team really wanted there. I think it won't help them. I think for Switzerland, that's probably their chance of getting out of the group completely over. Mm. That's a very solid statement there. You you think you think it's done and dusted. You think because of this draw, they won't they won't be able to nick anything. Yeah, I think with a performance like that, and with how well both the Dutch and Sweden uh, have been playing, and how strong a side they are, I think it'll just be too hard for them to be able to get past either of them. I can't see them nicking anything against the two big teams. Does this feel like a missed opportunity for them, Alex, for Switzerland to get out of the group? Yeah, I like Adam said, they're one of those teams that when they're on it, they're on it. And when they're not, like to let a two-goal lead go against a side like Portugal, who are late entrance into the competition, like a team like Switzerland should be doing better. Yeah, that yeah, you hit the crossbar, but I'm sure there were at least several other chances you could have taken and you didn't. But it's kind of like you look at some of these players like Backman, she comes with that big reputation when she was like, you'll see it in the Chelsea women's documentary that she came with this big name. Like she's got that status. It's all about like her her and her brand. And she she really struggled. And then she moved to PSG and she did well. They got to the quarters and then it just she's one of those players that at at her age now, she, she should be doing better. And yeah it's probably not fair to just pick her out because there's 10 other players on the team. But when you come with a big name, you have to consistently be performing at the highest level. The final game in that group, though, uh, Netherlands versus Sweden. We had a little bit of a podcast night out in Sheffield last night, didn't we? Um, As most of us were at the game, it was definitely a carnival atmosphere, yellow and orange everywhere. And the locals were all getting into it as well. Another attendance record was broken. It was the second most attended game ever that didn't involve a host nation, only second to um, the final back in 2013. Um, On the pitch, it was a very tight game. It wasn't helped by a couple of injuries in the first half for the Dutch trio of Sarah van Wienerdal and Anik Nguyen. Sweden were much better in the first half and took their lead through Joanna Andersson, but former Arsenal forward Jill Rod got an equaliser in the second half. I thoroughly enjoyed walking in the orange wall. I bumped into a few famous faces whilst I was there. Um, had a little chat to our Aston Villa player, Rusha Littlejohn. Um, she was there supporting the Dutchies, but secretly thought Sweden would win. So I think a draw, a draw would cross all barriers there. Um we mentioned Germany and France being a possible threat to England, but Rachel Brown Finnis described this game as a potential dress rehearsal of the final. Alex, can you see that happening? Potentially, but the 
realist in me really hopes that England will be in the final just because then, you know, it'll be if England women can get to the final and win it, they'll have won it. The England under 19 men will have won it. So it'll just be the England men's team that have won the Euro. So, I mean, it'd be also it'd be a great thing considering that unbeaten under Serena Wiegmann but mm. you can never count outsides like the Netherlands and Sweden because they are phenomenal sides like they've got world-class players in both teams so I do think a draw was a fair result but I still think there's definitely more to come from them I think realistically like after asking that question both teams really underperformed I wasn't impressed I wasn't impressed in this game at all um, the Netherlands are the former Euros winners. They're defending champions. And Sweden were bronze medal, uh, silver medalists, sorry, um, in the Olympics over the summer. I was watching the fixture and thinking that the Netherlands have kind of lost the spark that they had. They've lost kind of brilliance. The only, the only player I really saw kind of performing at that level was Jackie Gronen really in midfield. She was having an amazing game. And uh, Viviana Miedemar, Obviously, she has her attacking prowess. There's a reason why people call her the GOAT. But with Sweden as well, they have an incredibly solid squad. They've got a solid defence. They look strong when they play. But I just don't think they have the striking prowess to um, be able to win win these tournaments, really. I, I didn't see... The goal came from Joanna Anderson, a defender. Um, Sina Blackstenius, even when she did come on the pitch, was not playing at their best. And their number nine, Aslani, she looked weak. She was being pushed off the ball throughout the entire game. She didn't score. And to be fair, neither did um, the Netherlands number nine, Viv Miedemar. Um, But Adam, do you realistically think with this struggle in front of goal, either of these teams are going to get very, very far when they face teams like Germany, like Spain, arguably like England? Yeah, that's a really interesting point. And you saw the Netherlands against England in their warm-up game. I think they were a bit better up top, but even then, something really seemed to be lacking. You know, they, they got the one goal from a corner, a headed goal. And not much else. I think for Sweden, the problem is, is Stina Blackstenius going to be fit and able to your area? And if you're not at the start of a tournament, it'll take time to get into it. I can say from the press conference after the not a lot of questions asked to Peter Gerhardsen, but the Swiss the uh, Swedish journalist, pretty much every single one was about Stina Blackstenius, mm. which shows just how much she's important. I think Lena Hertig didn't do much up top. I thought Aslani was all right. It was a nice little nutmeg for the ball across for the goal but again there wasn't much that happened there I thought Viv Miedemar did better in the second half with her sort of link up play but it wasn't the usual classic Viv of people feeding you and her just scoring for fun it was more of a I'll get the ball I'll play it off to someone else which she did and it, it went eventually to Joe Rod by her deflection but I don't think either of them were at their best. It was not the greatest game of football I've ever seen. I think there were a few players who did do well. Maybe that's just what happens when you have two really good teams face each other and you can't tell just how good some of the players are or if you've got you know the world's best against the world's best. It sort of evens out. Yeah, I think maybe with um, 
especially Viv taking more of a creative role in the in the Arsenal side and her kind of pushing herself into into that position instead of playing an all out under nine, um, number nine. If she's enjoying being more creative um, than finishing, potentially that's what they need to do in the Dutch side as well. I'm not saying that you should completely change your team to fit around one player, but even in the last, I think it was 20 minutes when uh, Berenstein came on, it looked, they looked like there was a way greater threat because Berenstein is incredibly quick. We saw that in the pressure that she was putting on the England defence um, in the game at Ellen Road um, before the Euros. Um, and that level of pressing puts on a lot of pressure on defenders, as we do know. Um, and Viv being able to put through balls to her seems like a kind of better option than playing her as an out-and-out nine, especially as Lika Martins was limping for most of the game. I don't know if she will be able to continue because I know she's coming off the back of an in injury. Um, so continue coming into um, and playing lots of games during this tournament, even though they decided to start her and they also decided to start Van der Donk, who is coming back from injury. So maybe they need a little bit of a shake around in the starting lineup to um, have some rotation. I can understand why they didn't want to do that against Sweden, because realistically, this probably is their hardest game in the group. But if you injure all your players in the first match, then what else do you have to go on, especially when Nguyen went down and also Van Veenendaal too. I would like to say, though, um, the Dutch keeper who came on and um, and played for Van Veenendaal did have a really cracking game and it was only her second cap. So it was very, very impressive for her. I always think it must be terrifying as a goalkeeper coming off the bench into a game. But this is the only group where everyone has the same points. Can the Swiss and the Portuguese cause problems to the Swedes and the Dutch in the upcoming games? Alex, what do you think? Do you think there's going to be any upset? Yeah, I mean, Portugal, for all we know, they could be the dark horse of this group. Like, that's the thing, though. When everyone's on one point each, it's up for grabs. So we could have... We could have Sweden, Netherlands. We could have Sweden, Switzerland. We could have Switzerland, Portugal. Like it's it's an exciting group. Although when it comes to player of the matches, I don't know if you guys have seen this, but they don't tend to always pick the best player of the match. Like for England's game, they picked Georgia Samway. She wasn't perhaps the best player. There were about three or four players who were better than her. Millie Bright was one. Mary Earps, I mean Mary Earps was solid, but like Frank Kirby. Beth Mead didn't even get a shout for player of the match and she scored the only goal of the match. And for the Switzerland game, Ramona Backman got it. And the way they described her, I can't remember what the wording was exactly, but it wasn't particularly good. And then Miedemar got it for the Netherlands game when people were saying, you know, Magdalena Eriksson was probably more deserving of it. So it's, it's one of those where it's like, yeah, player of the matches are important, but are we picking the right players of the match? So we record this on Sunday morning and Group D kicks off this evening. Belgium are taking on Iceland and France are starting with a very tough test against Italy. Realistically, give me a quick vo vox pop, Adam. How do you think those games are going to go? Um, France, Italy. Italy are the dark horses of the tournament. Maybe this is the chance for them to show what they can do. Uh, France are their own worst enemy and will be able to mess it all up for themselves. You know, you've got uh, Corinne Dacra, where I think just enough said there. 
with, with what the atmosphere is like around the team. Italy, interesting. Maybe they'll be able to pull something off. I think the game is going to be a real chance to see what Italy are able to do. Belgium, Iceland, interesting one. I think it's people are fav- thinking France are favourites to get out of here and that it's between the other three. Who knows, maybe if uh, Belgium or Iceland are going to be able to get out of there. I thought Belgium are a decent team. Iceland are too. They've got some really good players. So that'll be the one where you can see maybe who's best for the rest, I think, at Belgium, Iceland. If you haven't got tickets to the matches this summer, then don't worry. We Love Sport will find you all the best pubs and bars showing this summer's women's Euros. Head to www.welovesport.co or download the app to book your table. You can't beat the pub. It's Group A on Monday as Northern Ireland take on Austria and then England face arguably their biggest opponents in the group, Norway. Alex, how do you see those games realistically going? Do you think England will be able to fend off the attacking prowess of the Norwegians? I think if England can be a bit more proactive in front of goal and actually take their chances, then, yeah, they've got a great chance. But if they play like they did on Wednesday, where they they got the early goal and then they had all these chances that they just couldn't seem to convert, that will play into the Norwegians' hands. Like, you see, Norway, they went a goal behind... or they, They scored and then they just kept the pressure on Northern Ireland. And... Norway are that team that can apply the pressure as and when is needed. England need to be a bit more proactive. They need to actually score some goals. And I think maybe with the substitutions, we need to be a bit more tactical because we saw them come on and they didn't really do that much. Like, Russo was good. Should she have had a penalty on Wednesday? Should she have not? We don't know because there's no VAR, I don't think, for the tournament. So... There is, they just didn't use it. Oh. Well, if they've got the technology and they don't use it, then what do you expect? Like, ridiculous. Um, But they've just got to... I think because they've come into the tournament unbeaten in, what, 14 games, they've got that pressure. And it being a home tournament, they've England have got the pressure. So they just need to find a way to channel that pressure into positive play and scoring goals. And I think... For Northern Ireland, it's going to be even more of an uphill battle after losing their captain, uh, Miguel, to a knee injury. So I'd, lo- I'd love for Northern Ireland to pull off a shocker, but I think for them it's very, very difficult. I think just to round up this podcast here, we're going to talk about a very interesting t- tweet which Emma Sanders put out over the weekend, which said, I fully support the passion behind showcasing women's football, obviously, but it's a little disappointing when we're still focusing a lot in this Euros on the players inspiring youngsters and being role models. I kind of just want to hear about the football. Adam, what do you think surrounding this quote? I think it's the thing that really divides um, divides people within the community. And I also don't, I think my view on it is a little bit controversial. So I want to, um, I want to hear about yours first, Adam. What do you think about this, this tweet? Yeah, I'm on the same side as Emma here. I think every little bit that you hear and all the questions that are asked are about like, oh, it's inspiring young girls to get into football after this and those sorts of things. Great. But would you be saying that a men's tournament is about inspiring people to play football? No, you wouldn't. That's what I liked about the game yesterday at Bramall Lane is it was about, yeah, here are two really big football teams playing against each other. Here are fans all coming to watch the football. It's not about inspiring young kids. It's about, you know, the best in world football or at least European football coming together. 
I think I've spoken to a few people in the game and there seems to be even at clubs, all the emphasis is on inspiring people. It's like, great, well, how do you build up crowds when your extent of inspiring is giving free tickets to schools, which doesn't seem to really do much when they have adults who, if you targeted to, would happily go. You saw the the Sweden crowd yesterday was probably mainly people mm. of student age. You see a lot of that in Man City, where it's people who may be students in Manchester. I think the game needs this shift of focus from just being about inspiring, which is the top line from all the marketing materials, to being about football on the whole. Come and watch great football. Come and watch an international tournament. Come and watch the WSL. But I think that line's probably still got to stay because it's an easy one and it looks relatively good to put out. But the FA have so much focus on it and they're doing good stuff, like with getting girls football into every school in the country. But I think there just needs to be a bit of a shift of focus. Mm. Yeah, I I think I think it's a it's a side of two coins. Um we see a lot of complaint on this coming from um from journalists as well who have been writing about the game for a long time. But I also think realistically journalists have their part to play in shifting this narrative because realistically if you don't want this narrative to be like that, don't write about it. Don't don't say it like that and it, I almost see the same faces who are complaining about it. And then they've written articles that are almost saying this exact thing. And I think I think there is a place for saying, well, this is actually quite inspiring. Uh, I think people love a good story. People love stories behind players. They love a story when it's Nadia Nadim talking about um, her as, a, as an asylum seeker. But they similarly love the story when it's Alfonso Davies and it's the same thing. Uh, you're looking at Messi's progression and that's just as interesting as uh, looking at players like Demi Stokes who have gone through a lot of adversity to, to get into the game. People love a story because the story sells, but the people who are writing those stories realistically are, are journalists. And if we want to change the narrative, then surely shouldn't we be the ones to, to do that as well? I know obviously the FA has, has their part to play in it too, but you have focus groups and people saying things from inside. So that's why I don't want to burn, burn all my bridges, but I, I think, I think if, if you want to write content, then write about the content you want to read too. And it's okay to write about people's backgrounds and have uh, people be relatable, but I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's, there's, there's a bit of, there's a bit of that as well, but I know that's a little, a little bit controversial, but chop that up and put it on 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 talk sport and get people to shock react to it on twitter no not not at all not at all i don't think it is specifically just for women's football i think it's for women's sport in general they always go we want to inspire the next generation and yeah it's great and you see it a lot in women's cricket it gets boring if you keep asking the same question but how does it feel to inspire youngsters what what should happen more is we get more football matches on free-to-air TV because arguably that's the best way people are going to see it and watch it. While she was a record year, groundbreaking year for sport, we just need to build on that. Alex, Adam, what games are you off to next? Um, I'm straight off to Belgium, Iceland in a couple of hours and then I've not even looked at next week. But I'm, I'm off all over <laughs> the place. Stop thinking about it, yeah. And what, what about you, Alex? Um, I don't think I'm off to any games per se, but I am working on the games on... Wednesday and Friday so it should be a good affair thank you both so much for coming on today cheers um no don't wear sunscreen Adam 
because it's hot. Um, I don't want you to get sunburned. I was dying in the stands yesterday. Oh my god! I need to uh, buy some. I don't yeah. own any at the moment, so well, at least like wear a hat or something. I had sunglasses on. I got fried. Anyway, that's it. Don't forget to subscribe to the Women's Football Podcast across all podcasting platforms. And if you want tickets to one of our upcoming hangouts in Birmingham or Manchester, go to www.welovesport.co forward slash women's euros. Our next podcast will be out Tuesday when you can hear a review of England v Norway and Northern Ireland v Austria from the Gosta Green Pub in Birmingham with host Nicole Holiday and guests, former Lioness Anita Asante and Sheffield United and upcoming pundit Courtney Sweetman-Kirk. See you guys very soon. 